This week, a major study was released by the National Center for Homelessness. And in that study, it noted that child homelessness in the United States is at a record high. 2.5 million children are homeless in the United States. That number is, is really hard for me to, to fathom. The number of children, or number of kids, they're not really kids in a way, but 18 and under, and that's what the study was all about, under 18. In, in Illinois alone, the total number of kids we have in our state is 3 million. So if you think about it, that would mean that almost all the children in Illinois would be homeless if we compared it to the United States. Or to put it another way, one-thirtieth of all the children in the U.S. are homeless. Now, when I think of those numbers, 2.5 million, or you think about one in every 30 children that are homeless, I think that sounds like a, a developing country, right? That doesn't sound like the United States, and yet, that's right where we are. And you know, when we hear that, we have a reaction sort of like I talked about some last week. How do we solve that kind of problem? When we think of 2.5 million children that are homeless, what in the world do we as individuals or even we as a church do about that? I mean, it's not like we can solve that problem. And certainly homelessness is caused by a complex combination of factors working together. There's, there's unemployment and there's poverty and there's drug abuse and there's all kinds of things that end up making families homeless. So what do we do with that? You know, I think one of the reactions is to say, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I don't think there's anything that I can do with that. And, and that sort of leads us into thinking, you know, whenever we see a need, when we see people in our world, in our country, even in our community in need, we have several reactions that might keep us from helping those people. And it's not because we just really don't care. It's because there are some factors at work that really may keep us from doing something. The first one is, and we talked a good bit about this last week, the problem is too big. 2.5 million children homeless. What do I do about that? I can't solve that problem. Too big. And there's all kinds of problems out there. When we think about homelessness, that's just the children I was talking about. Multiply that several times and you have the homeless population in our nation. Or people that are unemployed or underemployed. In other words, they can't get a job that they're really qualified for that would pay well enough to support a family. What do you do about that? We could name all kinds of problems that are so large that we can't find solutions to them as individuals or as a church, and so we just do nothing. Another response sometimes is, we're too busy, right? We're too busy. We have so much going on, so many things that we need to get done between work and family obligations and responsibilities, things that we may do already in the community, things that we're doing in church that we say, I just don't know if I can do any more. In fact, some of you are thinking of all the things that you could be doing if you were at home, or maybe if you were at home, this would be the one time during the week that you could actually relax for a few minutes. And yet you came to worship God today. And you're thinking, how am I going to carve out more time to do something else? I can barely make the time to do what I have to do right now. We're too busy. Sometimes we think the problems are somewhere else, right? The problems are on one of the coasts, and, and we're a long way from there. 
and there's no way we can really reach out and deal with those issues. Or maybe the problems are even in another country. How are we supposed to deal with that? And we might even think, surely someone in that area is going to deal with that. Surely someone where the problem is taking place is going to deal with that problem. We have problems enough in our own community, in our own state, in our own country. We'll let someone else deal with the problems over there. It's a long way away. Surely someone else will handle it. And then, I don't know if it can be fixed. Some problems we just we can't fix. Jesus said we would always, ha- always ha- <clears throat> excuse me, always have the poor with us, and it's true. Does that mean we just ignore the poor? Well, no, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. But it is true, poverty is always going to be there. Homelessness is going to be there. Disease is going to be there. We're not going to solve all these problems so that they go away and magically we don't have anyone that's poor. That's not going to happen. I don't know if it can be fixed. And some of them cannot be fixed. But again, is the the answer to the question sort of because I can't fix everything, I'm not going to fix anything. Because I can't solve the problem completely, I'm not going to do anything to help the people around me who are suffering. What will be our response? I don't know if it can be fixed. And third, or fifth, I should say, I don't know what to do. I want to do something. I want to help people who are hurting, maybe emotionally, maybe financially, maybe spiritually. I want to do something to reach out to people who are in need, whatever the need may be, but I just don't know what to do. And I think that's true for many people. We just don't have any contacts that would tell us, okay, this is the way you can help deal with the problem. And so since we don't know what to do, we don't do anything. But I think we as Christians somehow know that's not good enough. I think we know that we could go through all five of those things and and we could say all of them and maybe they would all be true, but it's just somehow not good enough. Because we see a call in the New Testament to be different people to reach out in some way and do something that matters because we see the New Testament writers doing that, we see the apostles doing that, we see Christians doing that. So, what should we do? We've said today is the last day of our our mission and vision. We've said part of our mission is that a church which loves others, and we're a church that loves God and loves others, a church which loves others serves those in need. Okay, what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? Taylorville Christian Church serves those in need. What does that mean? How do we do that? That's what I want us to think about. And I want us to open our Bibles to one verse primarily. We'll skip around a little bit, but one verse that I want us to get at. It's in James chapter 1, right at the end of the chapter. James is such a practical book writing about the things that we as Christians are called to do. What does the Christian life look like? Here it is. Open the book of James and you'll see. And in chapter 1, he's reacting in a a strong way against people who call themselves Christians, who say, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, but yet they have no control over what they say. 
And he's saying you can't really say that you've got religion if you don't know how to control your tongue, if you mouth off, if you criticize people, if you hurt people with what you say, you're not really understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so his response to that is this, to this false religion. Paul gives a picture of real religion. James 1 verse 27. James says, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now that word religion, it's gotten sort of a bad rap in our culture, hasn't it? People say, you know, I'm okay with being a follower of Jesus, but I'm not into religion. Okay? I'm okay with relationship with God, but I'm not interested in religion. And when they say religion, they're thinking, okay, ritualistic stuff where you just go in, you stand up, sit down, do all these things, and they don't understand it, and it seems meaningless. Or they mean a group of people who are so all about politics and who's in charge and who gets to tell other people how they're supposed to live that they're not interested in any of that. And I don't think that's anything close to what James is talking about in this passage. In fact, if you listen to how he describes religion here, it seems to be something completely different to this outward ritualistic kind of political thing that we sometimes see um, criticized in our culture. Paul says, I want to tell you what religion that God sees. Religion in God's eyes is sort of the, the language that's there in the Greek. Religion in God's eyes that's completely pure and blameless. This is the essence. This is at the heart. Now, the scholars will tell you he's not necessarily trying to define religion. He's trying to show you here's two things that if you say this is religious and these two things are not present, you've missed the point. Okay? And so I think he's speaking in some ways to a culture like ours that has gotten caught up in rules and regulations or has gotten caught up in the political so that we forget love because that was going on in the ancient world. Let's overthrow Rome and they forget about loving others. Okay? Here it is. Here it is. To help orphans and widows in their distress. When their circumstances are so overwhelming because of their need. We as Christians are called to help orphans and widows. Now, orphans and widows in some ways was shorthand for people in need because they were at the lowest rungs. Orphans, well, in Roman culture, a freeborn orphan, a, a freeborn child with parents who somehow are not in the picture, who have died, whatever has happened, could be cared for. Slave-born children, children born into slavery, somehow the parents are out of the picture, were cast off, allowed to die. That's the way they were treated. The lowest rung, no one cares. Those who are ignored by the culture. In Jewish culture, women didn't work. So if you had a widow whose children, maybe she didn't have children, or they're not supporting her, she's just at a loss. 
And so, like Naomi and Ruth might be just gathering grain around the edges of the field to survive until the next day. That's the situation. So why does James choose orphans and widows? Because they were desperate. They were in need. And he says, true religion, in contrast to this religion that seems to not understand that you're supposed to do something with everything that Jesus has done for us, true religion is all about helping those who are in the most distress in the culture, whom society has ignored. Those are the people that we as Christians are supposed to pay attention to and to help. Scripture tells us pretty clearly what this is like. Psalm 68, verse 5. There's Old Testament commands that speak directly to this. A father to the fatherless. This describes God. A defender of the widows is God in his holy dwelling. Okay, it's not just that God, that God says through uh, the prophet or the psalmist here, hey, you need to help widows. This says God is a God of those in need. This is part of our understanding of God. Then more directly over in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. The prophet says, learn to do right, seek justice. That's what it sounds like, James, doesn't it? This is, this is what it means to be a follower of Yahweh. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So why did James who is very Jewish, writing to a very Jewish audience, have to remind them something that the Old Testament said over and over and over again, clearly because they must not have been doing it. And maybe they were thinking, wow, you know, so many widows, so many orphans, the problem is too big. Or we got so many people that need to know about Jesus, we're too busy to deal with the widows and orphans. I don't know if that problem can even be fixed. And if it can, I'm not sure what to do about it. And so maybe these early Christians had the same questions, the same objections that we do to helping. Maybe they just didn't know what to do. And James is reminding them you have an obligation as a follower of Jesus. So help the orphans and widows in their distress. And then James says to remain unstained or keep from being polluted by the world. Now, when we hear that, sometimes we often think, oh, gee, James is talking about, you know, don't do bad stuff. I don't, I don't doubt that's part of what he means, you know. I don't drink and I don't chew. I don't go the, with girls that do. Something like that, okay? Seems to me there might be something of more depth there. All right? that has to do with this helping of orphans and widows. Maybe James is saying, you know, we live in a very materialistic and self-centered culture. And that culture can infiltrate your thinking. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and he changed you. It was the most selfless act that we could have imagined. And yet sometimes we are still pulled back into this world that tells us your needs are most important. It's all about you and getting what you want 
out of life. Maybe that's part of being polluted by the world. And James is saying, if that's the person that we've become, then we've forgotten the orphans and widows for sure. So what do we take from this? Pretty simple lesson. Help those in need. Help those in need. Last week we talked about thinking about the needs of others first, and I said we'd carry that into this week and make it a little more practical, and that's what I'd like to do. Help those in need. And the thing is, yeah, we're busy, but we're always going to be busy. And the question is, how do we change, you know, our schedule? We have to specifically, intentionally make time to do something for other people. We'll never do it if we don't do it intentionally. So what can we do? Instead of allowing all the, I don't know what to do, I don't know if it can be fixed, the problem is too big, to paralyze us, instead of allowing the magnitude of all the problems to keep us from doing anything, what can we do? Last week we said, don't focus so much on what we can't do, focus on what we can do. So what can we do? Well, this week, some people in our church loaded up 80 boxes to send to Operation Christmas Child. I think that's awesome. That was something we could do. Did it solve the problem of world poverty? No. Was it a blessing to some children who would not receive a Christmas gift otherwise? Yes. Did it allow the message of Jesus to begin to become part of their lives in at least a small way? Yes. Okay, there's a great step. Next Sunday, our angel tree will be up. Many of you have participated in that for a lot of years, I know. A great opportunity for us to reach out to the children of those who are incarcerated and even some in our own church and community who are in need. An excellent opportunity for us to bless some families, to bless some children. Again, does it solve some huge worldwide problem? No, and that's okay. What we are doing is helping the widows and orphans the ones that no one is paying attention to in their distress. That's a great thing. Next Sunday you'll have your opportunity to participate in that. Now you still might be asking on an ongoing basis, what could I do? This is where the communication card comes in, so pull that out if you've still got it. I'd like for you to look on this list that I've given you. It's on sort of the back side, the side you may not normally turn to. A little special section. Six things. I don't want you to choose six things. If you're saying, okay, I know, you know what, I'm not helping those in need, and many of you already are, and that's awesome. Many of you, you could say, I'm already doing several of these things. That's that's great. But maybe you're one of the people who are thinking, you know, I haven't really helped those in need too much, and I'd like to, but I don't really know what to do. I don't know what's out there, what's available, what would fit me. Well, I've given you a list. I don't want you to check all six. I don't even want you to check three. I'd love for you to check one. And say, you know, this is one thing that I could do. And it's not going to solve all the problems, but it's something that I as a Christian can do to help those in need. Just to familiarize you with some of those things, Inner City Mission, that's in Springfield. We go once a month as a church. Different groups go at different times of the year. And we prepare a meal and we serve a meal to the people who live there. And these are homeless people, homeless families that need a place to live for a time to sort of transition back into life. It's easy. 
It's fun, okay? It's us doing something together. Really, it's a very easy thing. It's great interaction with these people. You can sit and eat with them, and they will welcome you into their community for that night, okay? An easy thing to do. And a great way that's, you know, it's not during the day, so you have an opportunity to go sort of in the early evening and share with them. If you'd like to do that, and again, it's once a month, and you don't have to do it every month. It's, I'd like to go sometime. That's a great way to get involved, sort of a first step. Meals on Wheels. Our church delivers Meals on Wheels to people who don't have a way to get the food each day. Another great way, if you've got a vehicle and a heart that's willing to serve, you've got everything you need to be able to deliver Meals on Wheels. And we are always looking for volunteers to help with that. Again, a way to help someone in need. The backpack ministry. Many in this room are already part of that Thursday morning. Several people gather and... um, Assemble backpacks or bags that are filled with food for children to take home with them. From These are kids who are getting you know, school lunch and everything that are in need, and they take them home with them on the weekend. There's no school lunch on the weekend, right? And if you're dependent on that meal to be an important part of survival, what happens on Saturday and Sunday? And so we as a church pack these bags, backpacks, take them to the schools where these kids are, and then they're distributed. We really, we don't even know who gets them. The school handles all of that. It's just a way for us to help out, to provide for part of the need. We also need help with that going to get the food at the food bank. So there's several pieces of that puzzle. And if you're interested in helping with that, it's a well-oiled machine and they'll put you right in the middle of it and let you help. Um, Dinner seasoned with love. An opportunity in our community, this is a meal that's open to anybody in need. Several people, again, in this room are involved in that. It's served at the Presbyterian Church. A great way to get involved in a community kind of service thing that helps people in need. Again, a meal, serving a meal for people. And then the care team. Our own care team is a ministry team within the church. This is a group that ministers to those who are ill or grieving or shut in or burdened in some way. And they do all sorts of things. Several of the things we've already talked about are part of the care team ministry. They also help staff the prayer room. These are people that just care, okay? That's where they get the name. And so they're in need of more people. They'd like a little wider age range, people from all sort of walks of life in our church so that they can get a better representation of both the needs and the ways to help. If you're interested in being on the care team, Mark the box, and they'll be glad to include you in what's going on in the care team. And then finally, our church goes periodically to do worship services at the assisted living and the nursing homes in our community. Ken sort of heads that up and handles that. Another great, easy way to get involved in providing someone a worship service. And if you've ever been sick for a while, you know what it's like to miss church and not have an opportunity to worship with other Christians, to share in music, to share in a message. So if you'd like to help with those worship services, another way to serve in our community. Now, we also had a vision team. I'll come back to that. But we had a vision team that talked about how do we help those in need? How do we serve those in need? And they mentioned a lot of the things that were mentioned by the other ones. So I'm not going to repeat that because we've been through nine other vision teams and there was a lot of crossover. But they spoke a lot about incorporating people into the life of the church, making sure we are helping in the spiritual needs as well. So bringing people into the life of the church, having a clear path from, okay, it's my first time to getting really involved. And, and that led to the second big piece that they talked about, and that was involving 
Christians in our church in the life of service. So this is part of an answer to that call. So appreciate their work. Now, that card. I'd like you to take that card, think about it. Maybe you even need to pray about it this afternoon. That's fine, too. What's the one thing? What's the one thing on that card? If you're not involved in any other service like that, what could you do? What's God calling you to do that's on that list? There are many others. It's not like that's an exhaustive list of the ways to help people in our church or our community. But I wanted to make it easy so you had them right in front of you. If you'll mark one of those, when that communication card comes in, we'll give your name to the people who are involved in that program and help you plug into that and help those in our community, in our church, who are in need. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you have supplied our most basic need of forgiveness of our sins. And you've called us into eternal life. We thank you for that. Because of all that you've done for us, and we could list so many more things, we pray you'll give us the courage and the knowledge. Help us to know what to do to help the people around us who are in need. And maybe the need is physical, or maybe it's spiritual or emotional. God, help us to provide. Use us to serve those in need. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe today you recognize that it's time to respond to what Christ has done for you. He's called you to salvation. He's called you to forgiveness. He's called you to eternal life. If you put your faith in him, respond to him in baptism. And if you're ready to make that step, we want to know about it. Or if you've already done that and you want to be a member of our church, we invite you to let, let us know about that as well. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.